I know what some of you are going through in your lives. I um, <clears throat> converse with you in various ways, so I know what is going on uh, in some of the lives of people sitting out here today. And uh, there are some songs uh, designed for a lot of people sitting in here today. And um, receive it. You know, God doesn't always speak most powerfully through the sermon. Preachers like to think he does, always speak most powerfully through the sermon. But you know what? Um, sometimes it's a song. Sometimes it's a video. Sometimes it's a testimony. Sometimes the greatest message you receive is from another believer that just walks up to you and says, you've been on my heart today or you've been on my heart this week. And that is the thing that encourages you most. Just open your ears. Open your ears today. You have no idea how God may decide to speak to you today. And I hope that he will speak to you from this message. And I'm sure he will because we're going to look in his word as we talk about extreme faith. Now, we're calling it extreme faith not because we're going to uh, teach a faith that uh, I hear a lot of uh, preachers and uh, teachers talk about today the kind of faith that says there'll never be any troubles and you'll never be sick and you'll never have any difficulties in life if you have enough faith. That sounds real good. There's just one thing wrong with it. It ain't true. Okay, so we're just going to talk, talk about extreme faith. And the reason we're calling it extreme faith is because compared to the way uh, unbelievers view us, our faith is extreme, or it should be. It should be. We're going to look in this sermon series at a text, and we're not going to read the whole text. I'm just going to let it unfold as we go through the sermon series. It's one of the most powerful and fascinating stories in the Bible, and uh, it is in the book of Mark, chapter 9. So if you want to get your Bible, and then we'll be putting some verses up on the screen. But it is Mark, chapter 9, uh, verses 14 through 29, and though we're not going to read the whole passage, I do want us uh, in the beginning to look at verse 23 where Jesus says, all things are possible to him who believes. Now we're going to see how many old people we got here today. How many of y'all remember the old black and white Oral Roberts programs uh, and he would sing, only believe, only believe. All things are possible, only believe. Um, matter of fact, why don't we just say these words of Jesus together as a congregation, as a church family? Let's do it. All things are possible to him who believes. Now that word him means humanity, humans. So ladies, you're included there. Let's say it again. All things are possible to him who believes. There are people here today who need this sermon series. You need this sermon series. Now listen, everybody needs this sermon series, even the one preaching it desperately needs it. But uh, some of us need it because our faith isn't as powerful as it used to be. Our faith isn't as strong as it once was. And so we're just gonna challenge you in this sermon series to grow in your faith. We're gonna talk to you about how to do that. We're gonna talk to you about why you need to do that. So this is a very important series. Now when Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes, he was talking to, he was talking to a daddy. He was talking to a father of a little boy. 
That little boy was demon-possessed, and we'll see later um, the terrible, terrible things that this father had gone through because his son was possessed by a demon. And that father looks up at Jesus, and this is that father's response. He says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I do believe, but help my unbelief. I think that's all of us. I believe, don't you? I believe in the cross. I believe in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe the Bible. I believe the stories of the Bible. I believe not only for then, but I believe for now. And I've seen God do things in the modern times, in our times. But Lord, help my unbelief. What an honest proclamation from this father. I believe, Lord, and I can see that daddy as he has finally gotten his son to Jesus and maybe tears are just coming down and he goes, I believe, I believe. He didn't want Jesus, Jesus, I believe. He, he didn't want to risk, you know, not, not having faith for his son, but he said, I, I have to be honest, God. I battle doubt. I battle why. Anybody out there battle Why? <laughs> we don't like to admit it, but we wonder why, don't we? Why is this going on? Why did this happen to me? Why? What have I done? Y'all ever say that? Did I do something? <laughs> did I do something, God, that I'm going through this? So we all battle. This series is a lesson on the power of faith in God. There's power in faith. This is a lesson on the power of believing God. Paul said to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, he said, learn, you gotta learn to walk by faith and not by what? Sight. Gotta learn to walk by faith and not by sight. And then later he wrote a letter to the church at Galatia. He wrote to the Galatians in chapter two, verse 20. He said, we live by faith in the Son of God. We live, uh, let's go to that verse, guys, if we can, uh, to uh, Galatians 2.20, good. Walk by faith, not by sigh. So that means you walk by faith, not by, oh. <laughs> so just put a T on the end of that, if you will. We walk by faith and not by sight. And then Galatians 2.20, we live by faith in the Son of God. We live, our, we live by faith in the Son of God. So y'all didn't know about that sigh thing. That's very powerful. How many of y'all do that a lot? Millie looks at me and goes, okay, okay, enough sighs. <laughs> uh, Hebrews 11, and a lot of people say, um, well, obviously we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews because it doesn't say, but it sure looks like Paul wrote it. When you compare it to his other books that he wrote, it looks like the same style. But in Hebrews 11, 1, and then in verse 16, the first part of verse 16, Paul says, what is faith? What is it? It is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It is the evidence of things, here it is again, we cannot yet see. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
So we are to believe in God. I'm calling on you today to believe in God. I'm challenging you today to believe. Those of you who have not yet believed, I hope you will believe today. Those of you who already are believers, I hope your faith will grow, your confidence, your trust in the Lord will grow. We're to live by faith, the Bible says. As a matter of fact, faith is to be the dominating feature in the life of every Christian. What should be, pastor, my top quality as a Christian? What should I work on more than any other thing in my life? Your faith, your trust in God, your confidence in God. Because we have to put our trust entirely in what we cannot see. That's why you need faith, because we don't get to see a lot of the things we have faith in, do we? I mean, let's think about it. We trust a God we haven't seen. We trust a Christ we haven't seen. We trust the Holy Spirit we have not seen. We trust in a death and a resurrection that we didn't see. We trust in a justification that we cannot see. We trust in a fulfillment uh, in heaven of seeing heaven. We trust that, but we haven't seen heaven. So we are asked to believe in things we've never seen. The Christian life is lived by faith. It's lived by faith. Now, I love those times when I feel God. Don't you? I felt his presence this morning in the worship. And uh, <clears throat> during the marriage conference, I felt his presence. Uh, I love that. But I got to tell you, most, a, a vast majority of your walk with God is it lived by faith. That's why you need to know the Bible. Because that's what your faith is in. It is in what God has said and what God has promised. And if you don't know what God has said and you don't know what God has promised, then, then you're not going to have a strong faith. See, our faith is not blind. It, 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 it's not a blind faith. I mean, there's evidence upon which we base our faith, and that evidence is the Scriptures, the word of the living God. So if you're not in the Bible and, and the only scripture you get, the only Bible you get is when you go to small group or when you come here on Sunday morning, hear the pastor's sermon, then that's not enough. That isn't enough. You say, well, pastor, I, I love your preaching. And of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> However, <laughs> even one good, healthy meal a week isn't enough. It isn't enough, and I hope I am bringing you good, healthy meals. Sometimes I go home, and I gotta tell y'all, when I get home, I walk through the garage. Millie usually has the garage door up, so I walk through the garage, and she's usually standing there with a big spoon stirring something. I love that woman. <laughs> stirring something, it smells good, you know? She's, Millie is a, Millie's one of those old-fashioned wives that still cooks on Sunday, and I love that, man. I love, now I'm picking on you ladies who don't now. I'm not picking on you, but she still does that, and I walk in the house, it smells so good, and uh, I'm just waiting to hear what she says about the day and how I did. Come on, baby, give me something good. <laughs> Say something good. Tell me something good. And, uh, Usually she does. Sometimes she'll say something like, uh, uh, out of all your sermons, that was one of them. <laughs> it's 
sounds like a compliment, but I'm not real sure, you know. I didn't go to sleep today. That's always good. Peter said in 1 Peter 1.8, this is so powerful. Listen to this, 1 Peter 1.8. If you're taking notes, write that down. He said, we love him even though we've never seen him. So, so the scripture is so important. And, and I love coming home. Millie cooks that meal, you know, we eat that. But then I have to, then you've got to have nourishment Monday. You've got to have nourishment Tuesday. You've got to have nourishment Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's a true word, this Bible. It's a sure word, our Bible. And they can take pot shots at it all they want to, but it is unassailable for it is the word of the living God. It is inerrant, and it is infallible. And let me tell you that coming up soon, probably in the month of March or toward the end of March, uh, we're gonna do a series on Wednesday night called Why We Believe the Bible. Why We Believe the Bible's True. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, we believe the Bible at our church, and then you you encounter someone who's not a believer, and they look at you and go, why? And you go, well, because, just because. You got to know why, okay? So on Wednesday night, we'll be doing that. I'll, we'll be announcing that a little bit in the future. Well, when we get to Mark 9, when we get to Mark chapter 9, for more than two years, the disciples have been living by sight. Not by faith so much as by sight because they're with Jesus 24-7. They can look at him. They can go to him. They can talk to him. They can ask him questions, I mean, how awesome is that? They heard everything he taught. They, they heard it come right out of his own mouth. They saw all his actions and reactions with their own eyes. They, they had seen the unpredictable ways he had dealt with circumstances of all kinds and been amazed at his wisdom. They not only watched, but they experienced life with him. They witnessed every miracle he performed. Every time he cast out a demon, they were there. Every time he raised the dead, healed the sick, they were there. They lived by sight. They lived by sight, but soon, after Mark 9, they're going to have to live by faith, just like us. Just like we live right now, they're going to have to live by faith. Now, they would have their memory, of course, of the things they had seen and heard and experienced with Jesus, In fact, their memory would be supernaturally enriched. Their memory would be supernaturally enhanced by the Spirit of God so that this memory would be so uh, ingrained and so brought back up like a computer just clicking on a document that you hadn't read. Uh, God just anointed them so that they would be able to write the Word of God and write the Scriptures. You all do know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the writings were not written while they were going through them, but after it was all over. They sat down and wrote these things. So they had a supernatural memory, and out of that came the four Gospels, and, and later out of that came the epistles. Now, you all know what the epistles are. I asked one man that one time, and he said, of course I know what the epistles are. They're the wives of the apostles. <laughs> See, some of y'all didn't laugh because you were like, yeah, sure. The epistles are letters, letters, and Paul wrote letters to the churches, and John wrote three letters, and 
Peter wrote letters. And uh, so, so these are toward the back of your Bible, Galatians and Ephesians. These are churches. These are cities. Uh, these are places where Paul had churches and he would write letters. And these letters ended up in the scripture. Now, again... Up until now, they had lived by sight, but soon they would live by faith. The power of God was always in their midst because Jesus was always in their midst, but Jesus is about to leave them, so they have got to learn some things before he leaves. There are some things Jesus wants to teach them before he leaves. And the, lie, the, the reason they're going to learn right here is because um, something happens and Jesus isn't there with them. He's not there with them. Now, he'll come up on the scene in a little while, but something happens and he's not there and they're being tested here. He is teaching them a lesson. He is going away, letting them go through a situation so that they can learn to live by faith because he knows after a while he's gonna be gone and that's how they're gonna have to live every day. So he's teaching them here. He's asking them to ask themselves this question. How are we going to behave when he's not here with us in the flesh? How are we going to respond? How are we going to react? How are we going to access the power of God when Jesus is not here with us anymore? They needed to learn this. They're, they're going to be living by faith. He's going to leave them. He's going to die right after, right after Mark 9. Uh, it gets right into the last days of Jesus' life on the earth. So he's going to die. He's going to rise again. He's going to ascend into heaven. He's going to be gone. So they're gonna to have to live by faith just like we do today. They knew what was true because they saw it. We know what's true again because we have the scriptures. We can't see him, but we live by what he said. Now listen to me. We're saved by faith. You can join the soup kitchen team and work with the soup kitchen even if you haven't yet believed, we have little places you can serve here at the church. But I want to tell you something. Being on a volunteer team has nothing to do with your salvation. Nothing. The reason we open the door for unbelievers to serve in our midst, those who have not yet believed, is because we want you to know whether you believe or not, you belong here with us. We love you. But you need to be saved. You need to ask Jesus to come into your heart. You need to turn away from self and sin and Satan because you don't even have to tell me. It ain't working out for you. You say, how do you know? Because I've been there and done that and I have T-shirts. It doesn't work. The reason we open the door for you and treat you with such love is because, <clears throat> believe me, I go to them sometimes when I'm invited out to speak in other churches. Most churches, I'm sorry to tell you, and I'm not trying to put down other churches. You know here we pray for other churches and love other churches. But I'll tell you something, if you want to get treated cold, just go to some churches. And if you're not in the family and you're not somebody who's always there and they don't know you or you don't have the same accent they do, y'all with me out there? Your skin isn't their color. They don't want you around. Now they won't say that to you, but they'll send a clear message. Get on out of here. You ain't one of our kind. Isn't that true? Y'all ever been to a church like that? Man. 
So we open the door for you, and we love on you, and we'll even let you serve beside us, but that isn't your salvation. I mean, you stand before God one day and go, I worked at the soup kitchen. He's going to go, that's great. Am I? Your name is not in this book. But I worked at the soup kitchen. I, I, I volunteered with the coffee shop. I, I put on those stupid Mickey Mouse gloves. and <laughs> Sure, that's got to be in there. But it's not. Doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. So we're saved by faith, we're sanctified by faith, we're filled with the Holy Spirit by faith, and we have the hope of heaven in us by faith. It's all by faith. Our faith is not perfect, but listen to me. Our faith is sufficient. You say, well, pastor, isn't that bragging? No, because in every man, every woman, every boy or girl is a measure of faith given to you by God. And anything you get from God is perfect. Now, you might be messed up in every other area of your life, but i got to tell you something. That little bit of faith he put in there is sufficient. Everybody has some faith in them. You know that uh, Akma nut job in Iran? <laughs> he is, there is a seed of faith in him that cries out for him to believe in Jesus. Sodom Hussein had a measure of faith, not, not to believe in Allah, but to believe in Jesus. There's a seed of faith in everybody. Now you have to activate it and, and operate in it, but it's right there. It's there in you. The Bible says your salvation, Ephesians 2.8 just jot that down in your notes. It's not on the screen. Ephesians 2.8. Your salvation comes by grace through what? That not of yourselves. That means get that. When it says that not of yourselves, it means not your faith you came up with. It's talking about faith that is a gift from God. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that the faith that God has put in you to believe in him is a gift from God. That's, so it's sufficient. The faith we have to believe the word of God, the faith we have to believe songs, the faith we have to look up on the screen when we're singing and believe those songs and the faith you have to believe what Pastor Farrell's preaching out of the word of God today. It is a sufficient faith because it is a faith given to us by God and God designs your faith to be enough. Now you can build on it and make it stronger and bigger and better, but that little bit you got, it's enough. It's enough to believe and receive Jesus into your heart. Isn't it amazing that God requires us to believe in him and then he goes ahead and gives us some belief? <laughs> Our God is an awesome God. God never asks you to do anything that he doesn't turn right around then and give you the power to do what he called you to do. <laughs> you know, when I was 17 years old, I looked like um, I had my, my platform shoes. I had my uh, bell-bottom pants with the cuff about that big. Walk in the house and dump those out and, you know, get a dump truck to haul the dirt out, you know. Big old cuffs. And uh, I had the collar. You know, you wore your shirt on the outside. Wore your collar on the outside, you know. And uh, I never went to a disco, but I always looked like I'd just come from one. <laughs> and uh, I had the hair, you know, and stuff. And um, when I was 17, God said, I want you to be a preacher. I said, I think I'm ready. 
because I know about Moses and his coat of many colors. I didn't know anything about the Bible. And then he said, now, I want you to go and be a preacher. And he said, I'm going to go with you. Everything he asks you to do, he then gets right beside you and goes, let's go. Let's go. I like that. Is our love perfect? I mean, our faith perfect? No. Is it imperfect? Yes. Is it weak? Yes. A lot of times it is weak. Does it vacillate like a roller coaster up and down? Yes. Is it wavering? Yes. Do we doubt sometimes? Absolutely. But is it enough? Listen to me. Yes. It's enough. Because it was put in you by God. And the reason I preach that so powerfully today is because some of you out there think you don't have enough. You can't do it. Yes, you can. He put it in you. You just got to act on it. So here we are in Mark 9. We're ending a period when Jesus is about to, uh, he's moving toward Jerusalem. He's about to die. He's about to rise again. He's about to ascend into heaven. And as you study the book of Mark, you will discover an amazing thing. In that ninth and 10th chapter, Jesus is getting his disciples ready for him to leave. So he goes through this series of lessons in Mark 9 and 10. He's getting them ready. Now, hey, all through the book of Mark, there are references to the cross, and we see the healings and the miracles and all of that. But chapters 9 and 10, it's like Jesus is going, all right, boys, I'm about to leave you, so I'm going to go over some stuff with you. I want to go over some things with you. He's giving critical training here. So let me ask you a question. If those disciples need that critical training, what about right here this morning? We need this. Now, I want you to hear me. I'm, I'm almost done, which means what? Exactly. All right. Means nothing. But the primary emphasis of this book is instruction to his disciples. We are his disciples. We are Christ followers. We're Christ followers in this church. So he's training them. He's getting them ready to walk by faith. So when we study the four gospels, what do we see about the disciples? We see that they are characterized by misunderstanding and they're characterized by shallow faith. You know, I think Jesus maybe wanted to look up a few times to his father and go, I'm going to need like five more years with this crowd. I mean, in Mark 8, verses 14 through 21, Jesus says, having eyes, do you not see? He's talking to his disciples. He isn't talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. You got eyes. Can you not see? He says, you have ears. Can you not hear? He said, are your hearts hard? Is this why you're not getting what I'm saying? He said, do you not remember? And the constant issue with the disciples was that no matter what Jesus did and no matter what Jesus said, they had a hard time grasping it. These boys were a work in progress. As a matter of fact, it was Simon Peter who wrote, he's still working on me. A lot of people don't know that. He wrote that song. That is not true. I can tell some of y'all think that's true. It is not true. But it was funny, I thought. Okay. So here in Mark 8, we find out how desperately they need to understand. So Jesus goes through these lessons. Now, I'm going to bark these out real quick. And, and uh, if anybody wants my sermon notes, you know all you have to do is email me, feral at whitleychurch.com, and I'll send you all my sermon notes. <clears throat> But, but here's what Jesus does. And, and we're doing this first one. He, he does a series of lessons. The first one is on faith. And, and, and that's the one we're looking at 
in this sermon series. The next one's on humility. He's, listen now, he's leaving with them what they need to know to live in victory after he's gone. Are y'all with me? So if they needed this to live in victory after he's gone, guess what? Awesome. So he says, let's talk about faith. And he preaches on, teaches on faith. Then he says, let's talk about humility. How many of y'all know we need some humility in our lives? Like the guy told me, he said, the thing about North Carolina, he said, it's not the heat, it's the humility. You know, I said, I've never noticed a whole lot of that. Anyway, then he talks on offenses. He teaches them about offenses. Then he teaches about the seriousness of sin. We need a little bit of that from the pulpits of America, don't we? Are y'all all right out there? Can I preach on sin? I'm gonna do it anyway. Marriage and divorce. The place of children in the kingdom. I gotta tell you, when I went through these things that Jesus was teaching, I was thinking, you know, Wedley's talking about the right things. He talks about earthly riches. Talks about true wealth, true riches. He does a lesson on leadership. He does a lesson on sacrificial service. And then guess what he does right at the end of all these lessons? He talks on faith again. So it's like faith is, is like bookends for these lessons. He's got faith at the beginning and then he closes with faith and he puts all those other lessons right in the middle. Y'all with me out there? I don't know about y'all, but that's interesting to me. That's interesting to me. So at the end of chapter 10, he concludes all these lessons and in chapter 11, Jesus enters in Jerusalem, enters into Jerusalem for his final week here on the earth. So, so in this series, we're gonna study this first lesson of faith. Now I just gave you all those lessons. So what we're looking at is that first lesson of faith, Mark 9, 14 through 29. Now it is also recorded in Matthew, what we're gonna talk about. It is also recorded in the book of Luke, but they only give a few verses, like a half a dozen verses to this whole Bible story that we're gonna look at in just a moment. We're gonna get into it right before we close and then next week we'll pick back up. Now here's the, here's the awesome thing about the Bible. Matthew gives only a few verses about this. Luke gives only a few verses about this. And Mark gives a long section about this story. That's why you need to read all the gospels, all their different stories. As a matter of fact, let me recommend a Bible to you. Have you ever heard of a parallel Bible? A parallel Bible is a Bible of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and when you open it, you have Matthew's story, and right beside it, Mark's. And right beside it, who, what's the next one? John. And then Ringo is the, third, the fourth one. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you have all four of them, when you open it, wherever you open it, you have Matthew's rendition, you have Matthew's account, and then you, you can look right beside it and read Mark's account of that same thing, John's account of that. And guys, you will understand then why, I've had people ask, why did four guys write about the same thing? Because it's all different and it's all from a different perspective. As a matter of fact, even though Mark, I mean, even though Matthew and Luke give a shorter version, there are things in their version that aren't in the Mark version. Isn't that interesting? Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> Faith is about to become the way they live their lives. Faith is how we live our life today. Faith, listen to this. Faith is the source of your power with God. So if you have weak faith, you're gonna have weak power. 
Weak faith, weak access, weak power. For the disciples, it is critical that they learn how to do this because they've got to learn to trust, they've got to learn to have confidence, they've got to learn to depend on the Lord even though they will not see him. So let's, let's talk about this story very quickly and then I'm done. So there's a boy, it's one of the most dramatic scenes in the whole Bible. There's a boy who is demon-possessed. Jesus, along with his three closest disciples, who were they? The three, the three closest ones, Peter, James, and John, exactly. They are on a mountain at the Mount of Transfiguration with a couple of Old Testament guys, I'm not lying, this is in your Bible, and they just go up on this Mount of Transfiguration and a couple of Old Testament guys who've been dead and gone a long time show up. <laughs> you say, wait, time out, where's that in the Bible? I did a series on it several years ago and I may pull that out and do a series on it again because it's a, it's a really good passage to study. Um, so Peter, James, and John, they have been up there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, have you ever been on a real spiritual high and then you gotta come down to the real world? I mean, y'all know Peter. I've told y'all Peter's last name. You remember Peter's last name? Hardison, exactly, Peter Hardison. Because Peter had great intentions, but he put his foot in his mouth quite a bit. And he's up there on this mountain, so he has a suggestion. <laughs> For Jesus, he goes, let's build three temples, one for you, one for this Old Testament guy, and one for this Old Testament guy, and let's just stay on the mountain. Has anybody ever felt like that? Can we just stay on the mountain? I love the mountain. But you can never stay on the mountain. You say, well, why have I got to go down in the valley? Because he's a God of the valley, too. Some of you are in the valley. What you need to remember this morning is he is the lily of the valley. Yeah. I remember the Old Testament, man. There was, a, there was this army that came against Israel and they fought the battle on the mountaintop. And Israel went brave heart on them and just wiped them out. So the leader of that pagan army said, I know what the deal is. Their God is only a God of the mountain. Let's fight them in the valley. We'll win in the valley. So they fought them in the valley and they found out our God's a God of the valley, just like he's a God of the mountain because we whipped them in the valley too. I don't like the valley. But I live a lot of my life in the valley and so do you. And that's where our faith is developed. And that's where our trust in God is developed. So they come down off the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus and his three disciples, Mo, Larry, and Curly. Sometimes they acted like Mo, Larry, and Curly. And they came down, and there was this large crowd around the other nine. And they were, there's this big argument going on, there's this big fight going on. So here comes Jesus and, and three, and they're coming up to the other nine, and they hear the scribes. You know the scribes, they're those religious people. If y'all didn't see it, if y'all are on my Facebook friend, you need to go back, go back a few pages on Facebook. I've put a video on there of Mark Driscoll. Y'all know Mark Driscoll? You ever heard of him? Talking about religious people, he gives five marks of religious people. I love one line in that sermon. He says, if you're a religious person, you're always walking around with your fist balled up talking about what you're against. 
He said, why don't you just punch yourself in the face with that fist? So I just love that. That was awesome. Now, I would never say that from a pulpit. I would never say that, but I just liked hearing him say it. So the scribes were the religious people, and they're unleashing an arsenal of questions on the nine because Jesus isn't there. So they're thinking, you know, their covering isn't here, so let's rip them up. So they're just unleashing all these accusations, they're mocking, and all of a sudden, uh, as soon as Jesus arrives, the crowd sees him, so they just all throng him. So I can see Jesus, I just get pictures in my mind, I can see Jesus seeing his nine under attack. He's trying to get where they are, but this was during Jesus' time of popularity, so the people knew, he was their savior, he was their healer, he was their miracle man, he, he, they loved, he was their superhero at that time. Now, these same people who feel that way right now will cry, crucify him later. But right now, they're all about him. And he's trying to get to his nine because he sees something happening up there, and he doesn't like what he's seeing. And so they're just thronging him. And, and even the ones that are thronging him, they're asking questions because they're, they're disappointed about something. They're not disappointed about something in general, but they're disappointed about something very specific. So in verse 16 of Mark chapter 9, Jesus comes up to those scribes, and I bet they're going, nee, 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 nee. because when Jesus walked up, he covered his disciples. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful way Jesus walks up here. Jesus says, what are you discussing with my disciples? And I bet you one of those scribes was going, there he is. What are you debating about? What's this argument about? And I want to give you this right here very quickly, and then I'm going to move on. But Jesus arrives on the scene as their protector. He is your protector. If you are a Christ follower today, he is your covering. He is your cleft in the rock. He is your high tower. He is your defense. Jesus walks up and goes, messing with my boys. They've got themselves into a situation. They're not handling it very well. When Jesus asks this question, what's going on here? The scribes don't say anything. I got a feeling they're petrified. Their knees are knocking. The disciples also don't say anything either, and they kind of got their head hung down. And really nobody says anything until somebody in the crowd in verse 17 kind of volunteers. He comes up, the Bible says he comes up very reverently and very humbly, but then when you go to the book of Matthew and read this story, Matthew says he did shout it out. Teacher, I brought my son to you. I thought you were with the nine, these disciples, but you were not. I brought him to you. He is possessed with the spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not. It's no wonder this father brought his son to Jesus. Jesus was known had a reputation for being able to cast demons out and do away with them. And the problem is revealed in verse 18. He says, I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't deliver him. They couldn't set him free. 
Now listen, Jesus had already delegated to those disciples the power to set people free from demon possession. But it didn't work. They had already done it before. They had done it before. You know what that tells me today? Just because you did it yesterday doesn't mean you can do it today. Because yesterday you might have been fasting. Yesterday you might have been believing. Yesterday you might have been walking in the word. And because things went so well, you thought, well, I don't have to work that hard. Oh, I remember those early days when I was a preacher. 25 years old. God's given me a gift of communication, gift of oratory. Y'all are sitting out there right now going, yeah, I know you can't shut up. (laughs) And at 25 years old, I would get up and preach a sermon and it would flow out of me and it would be anointed and it would be powerful because I had prayed and fasted and studied and prayed and studied and wept and prayed and studied. And then people would come up to me and say, oh, man, that was awesome. And in the back of my mind, I was going, it was, wasn't it? So the next time I go, you know, all that praying, all that fasting, all that study, I think I can chill on that a little bit. And then you get up to preach. Sometimes the very same sermon. I couldn't think of my name. My name is, hmm, let me tell you something. Just because you did it yesterday doesn't mean you can do it today. And you can't walk in yesterday's anointing and yesterday's blessing, and you can't walk in yesterday's intimacy. Where are you today? Let me tell you something. If all you can do in your Christian life is point back to a time at what God used to do, that is my question. I'm glad he, what is God doing in you right now? What's God doing in you today? So what's going on here? Why do these disciples fail this time? They had done it before. What went wrong? What happened? Well, Jesus tells us the answer in verse 19. He answers and said, oh, unbelieving generation. You're an unbelieving generation. So the problem is what? Unbelief. A lack of faith. There's your problem, Jesus said. You're not believing. You are faithless. That's what the Greek there is, faithless. Then Jesus follows up in verse 23 and he says, this father comes up, as, as I told you earlier, he comes up as his father, uh, Lord Jesus, I, and he's humble, and, and Jesus looks at that daddy, and here's what Jesus says to that daddy. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And the father follows up immediately. The father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Now, here's the, here's the end of the sermon. <clears throat> There's some things coming that you're going to need a lot more faith for than you got right now. Ladies and gentlemen, what's happening in Egypt is no small thing. It's no small thing. What's happening in our economy and what's spreading all over the world is no small thing. What's happening culturally What's happening 
in this whole spirit of antichrist that is growing in the world as the stage of the last days is being set up is no small thing. And the faith that you got by on yesterday, you're not gonna be able to get by on it tomorrow. I'm telling you, I'm telling you as your pastor, you're gonna need more faith in the days to come than you've needed in the days gone by. So let's cry out like that father did in this story. Say, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. You need more faith for the sake of your children. You need more faith for the sake of your marriage. You need more faith for the sake of your finances. You need more faith for the sake of this church. You say, Pastor, things are getting bad. Things are getting tough. You know what? I think that's when the church shines the brightest. The church shines the brightest when people begin to realize there's got to be more than this. And I've got to tell you something. As they're turning on their TV and they're turning to CNN and Fox and they're turning to these, they're, they're, they're not here this morning, but they're coming. They're coming. And when they come and when you go out, not just them come, but you go out, you gotta have a strong faith because they're gonna have questions. They're gonna wanna know. They're gonna know you're here. They're gonna know you're different. They're gonna wanna know what's going on, man. Talk to me. I wasn't interested a year ago, but I gotta tell you something. I'm interested now. We gotta be ready. It's gonna take some strong faith in these last days. So let's bow our head and pray for it. Everybody repeat after me. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Let's do it again. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Father, as a pastor, I pray over my congregation. I pray over my church family. I pray over these wonderful people that you have given me the opportunity to be their shepherd, their pastor. Increase our faith. I do not pray you increase their faith. I need more faith tomorrow than I have today. We are facing some challenging times. We are facing some, some resistance in the future that we've never faced before. We are facing some difficulties that we cannot even realize right now as the day of your coming approaches. And I pray, God, that you will help us understand that we need more faith. But we should not look at that with dread, but we should look at it with excitement, knowing that there are going to be more opportunities to talk about you than we've ever had before. There are going to be more people seeking you, more people wanting to know about you. And God, they're going to be looking for people who have strong faith. Not faith that is strong when all is well, but they're going to be looking for people who have faith in the storm, who have faith in the dark, who have faith when bad things come and difficult things come. Father, let us be that church. Let us be that church. And Father, for those here today who are seeking you, I would pray that they would activate their faith right now and say, Jesus, come into my life. I've been running from you, Jesus. I've been making excuses. I've been trying to disprove you and I've been trying to argue and it's time to stop all that. I need you in my life. I need you in my life, Jesus. Change me. Redeem me. Cleanse me. Live in me. Ask Jesus to come into your heart today. And Father, for those of us who believe, may our faith grow. Turn the TV off. 
turn off the things that distract us and help us to focus on your word and focus on our prayer lives and focus on serving and focus on being you in our communities and being you in our local church as our faith grows, God, and we exercise it for great things to happen in our family and with our children and with our, our situations of life, God. Give us faith, a stronger faith in these last days. And let people see it in us and ask us about you. We pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, Hey, listen, listen, if you're a guest, pick up your gift right over here. Listen, if you're looking uh, at Jesus, you're looking at the Bible, you're looking at church, but you still got some questions, we have a packet you need to pick up on this side over here. So pick up your uh, information, uh, your gift packet over here, information over here. God bless you guys. Don't forget to give to the TV station as you're leaving today. Let's bless the gospel channel as you're leaving today. God bless you. Thanks for coming.